You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience. The validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. What was the big scandal in your high school? The first thing that comes to mind is the phantom crapper. (laughs) Once in a while, somebody would leave a fresh pile of poop in front of the bathrooms. (laughs) Nobody knew who it was. Damn. But he did it or she like he or she bro did it maybe 10 times my senior year <laughs> that's a lot that's a serial crapper dude yeah. serial offender <laughs> what if it wasn't even a student just someone who lived in the area <laughs> the janitor himself <laughs> who the hell yeah. i gonna clean this up <laughs> bro we know the janitors are already touching poop so <laughs> It's probably your problem. It was probably your freaking PE teacher. Oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which is some weird fetish. I miss that guy. (laughs) Do you, though? (laughs) Uncle. Uh, Well, the question, Sean, is what was the scandal in your high school? (laughs) The scandal (laughs) in my high school was... (laughs) People getting sextra credit. (laughs) No, that was normal. We lived in Kentucky for a minute. (laughs) It's funny because Sean is homeschooled. In high school. <laughs> That's why it's funny. <laughs> For all our older listeners, I'm sorry. <laughs> you mean like actual age older or, or like, no, no, like day one original day oneers. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. We're sorry for everything moving forward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the scandal in my high school, the one that comes to mind, I cannot tell on air because it, it is too foul. Oh. I also have one, and I think I've told you guys, it is also so lewd. Okay. (laughs) So. Off air. Off air, we'll tell each other. Patreon. Yeah. Do you guys remember getting the talk as a kid? Eh, more or less. (laughs) It wasn't, it was. It was not to me, it was to my older brother, and I was like walking past the room. (laughs) Like, what are you guys saying in there? Huh? What about P's and V's? <laughs> What's a bird and B? Yeah. Did they use legit use the bird and B? They didn't use a bird okay. and B. Do you remember? They didn't explain really well. Like, Bro, parents are trash at it. <laughs> like thinking back. <laughs> all, they, they said sex is something that people who love each other do. <laughs> and then you're like, so you I'm and like, me can have sex? Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love you, sense. mom and dad. <laughs> just like they didn't ever explain like the anatomical aspect of it it's like the most just everything obtuse abstract way they can like say it. yeah i know so i get it it's tough i mean now it's easier you could parents can go to youtube and learn how they can teach it to their (laughs) children 
Children can go to YouTube and learn how they can talk about it to their parents. Uh, Mine was pretty straightforward. My dad was pretty like, uh, like straightforward with it anatomically and everything. But the issue was I was eight and I had known what (laughs) sex was for like two and a half years. But I didn't want to let my dad down and disappoint him. So I had to sit there and pretend like what? 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 But I knew everything because the first day of kindergarten, I walked into school and I'm like finding my cubby, writing my name on my folder and Jared walked up to me and goes, sex is when a man puts his penis in a woman's vagina. <laughs> and I was like, what? Wait, what? First day kindergarten. Like first day, first 10 minutes. Jared got held back. So he was a year older than all of us. And I, it, he just took it upon himself to like tell everyone what sex was. So he's really doing a good deed. Like he's, he did a better job than 90% of parents. <laughs> it was very straightforward. I knew exactly how it went down. <laughs> but for years, I was like tormented with the thought of what if you accidentally pee inside of her? (laughs) So for like 10 years, I was very concerned with that. When I was in fourth grade, some people were talking about condoms and I had no idea what they were. And I asked my friend, I was like, what's a condom? And he told me that a condom is like a little, like a, like a tiny like tent where people can have sex in to like hide from everyone. <laughs> so I just remember like being on the lookout for these tents everywhere I went. Dude. And I was like, there's nobody having sex. <laughs> Damn, there's not a lot of condoms out here. <laughs> and I thought that until I think sixth grade <laughs> when we had sex education class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? New Year's resolutions does everyone have? I got so many. Last so week many. we talked about Charlie's resolution to not swear as much a few years ago. <laughs> I, gave, I gave up on that. <laughs> I haven't tried that again. <laughs> not trying to test your luck again. <laughs> Do you have any resolutions this year? This year? Yeah. yeah. I try and set them every year. I I never did before like four years ago. And then four years ago when I was like 260 pounds and felt bad, I was like, bro, we're going to New Zealand in like four months. I'm going to drop down to 210 and did it. And so I was like, man, New Year's resolutions really work. I'm going to do these every year. And then the next year was to travel more, then pick up climbing. And I've done all of those every time. The one I have for this year is finish going to all 50 states. How many, how many have you been to? 47. And which ones haven't you been to? So not including territories, of course. The ones I haven't been to are North Dakota, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. So much to see. So, so much, much to do. do. I'm actually excited about Minnesota and Wisconsin. So what's, so what's wrong, wrong with taking in the, the back, back streets? You never know if you don't go. Oh, I like go. <laughs> so that's probably the number one, but that's the one I'm most excited for. Going to those three states? Finish going to 50. Not necessarily the three that I'm going to. <laughs> I am excited for Minnesota and Wisconsin, though. There's some dope stuff there. Damn, sorry, North Dakota. I don't know anything. All I wrote down was abs. <laughs> That's all I wrote down. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been working a desk job for the last year or two, and it's kind of a new thing for me because I've been working in restaurants since I was 14, and restaurant jobs, you're on your feet all day. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been working a desk job for the last year, and physically, 
I'm like at my lowest I've ever been. <laughs> so I want to get back in shape. Anyway, that's me. That's fun. Um, every year for the past like six years, I spend January <laughs> thinking about my New Year's resolution. So I don't really have one yet. So I'm procrastinating. I've procrastinated every year, but I've always come out with something and I've done a pretty good what job. What was last year then? Yeah. So every year, oh man, I, I think I'm going to switch it up because for the past like six years, I hate this because it's actually like <laughs> it's re- not that yours aren't real, but it's okay. So the past six years, I've just all my New Year's resolutions have just been like focusing on one attribute to be better at. Okay. So one year was optimism. Three days later, after I chose that, I broke my leg. <laughs> Is that the infamous story? The one where my foot's pointing the other direction. Oh, <laughs> maybe you should tell that. Okay. 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 That year, <laughs> um, yeah. So I chose optimism. Three days later, I'm going to my friend's house just to go hang out, and it's in Provo, and I'm longboarding to his house. You've never seen me on a longboard, uh uh-uh. uh Ever since I've I'm known scared, DJ, dude. he hates longboards. I'm scared of it because of that experience, and I feel like I've lost a lot of my sense of balance. Dang. From that. Um. Anyway, it was. January like January is the coldest month in Utah and typically that's when there's the most snow so it's snowing Uh, there are patches of ice here and there (laughs) the roads are still okay like there's not ice everywhere I just had to watch out but I wasn't it was nighttime and I was texting while I was <laughs> Bro, my sympathy is gone. <laughs> I know. Well, I was asking for it, so I'm not asking for any sympathy. I was asking for the injury. Um, but I just hit this huge. There was this crack in the road that was like an inch and a half high that I didn't see because I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and I just felt funky. I planted one foot on the ground while I was falling and my whole body turned while my foot stayed oh. in place. <laughs> was it a compound fracture? Like bones sticking no, out no, of flesh. No, it was not a compound <laughs> fracture, but I was close to the sidewalk. Um, so like I I knew my foot was broken, but I didn't see it. I was like crawling on my knees and elbows, oh. <laughs> which was easy because my foot was facing the other direction. <laughs> so it wasn't like dragging. <laughs> um, I didn't know that yet, though, but <laughs> I knew my foot was broken and I was like, kind of like <laughs> on all fours crawling to the sidewalk and I get like on this grass portion of the sidewalk and I'm on all fours and in that time somebody across the street who was walking home from campus to their apartment or something like heard that but didn't really see he looks and then he sees me crawling on the ground so he like kind of like hurries up to me and he's like in front of me he can't see my foot and he's like bro are you okay and for like a minute straight and it felt longer but for a minute straight i was just oh, <laughs> over and over again and he doesn't know what's wrong he just sees this dude on all fours like it, like sounding like he's in pain and then it gets to the point where he like almost starts laughing at me and he's like dude <laughs> Uh, what, what's the matter? <laughs> and then I'm just not really paying attention to him because I'm just like trying to process all of it. And then finally, I realize that he's asking me a question. I and you're probably in him. shock. Yeah, I haven't answered him yet. So he's like, 
what's going on? So I like roll over to my back and I lift my leg up and I say, look at it. <laughs> and he screams and he's like, oh, because your foot's completely turned around. Yeah. Um, oh. And he calls, oh. he calls the ambulance and it's right outside this apartment building called Liberty Square. And um, shout out. I really wish I just like thought of calling a friend. I even had a friend who lived Dude, at Liberty Square. Is expensive. Yeah, it ended up costing like a few thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ambulance picked me up as they like they loaded me on the stretcher and as they were putting me inside, like the bright lights from the ambulance was like lighting up the neighborhood, <laughs> and I could see like the apartment building and it's like three or four stories. Liberty Square is a well-known apartment complex in Provo, and like. All the kids in their <laughs> windows are like looking out the window, just watching me. And as I'm going in the stretcher, I like thumbs up, and everybody like thumbs up at me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they had to pop my foot back into place that night. They're like, we need to pop this back into place and then do surgery. So it was a broken leg plus the dislocation. That and a bunch of torn ligaments. Oh, so they gosh. put a plate and some screws in my leg, and I still have that now. But, yeah, they're like, if we don't pop it back into place now, it's just going to keep swelling up, and it's going to make surgery a lot harder and longer. So um, we can't give you anesthetics right now because we can't, like, it, like if we give you anesthetics, we're going to have to wait for it to settle so you get numb. By that point, your f- leg's going to be too numb or too swollen for us to even pop it back into place. So we have to do it right now. Mm. And, like, I was so dead set on being optimistic <laughs> that I was like, I laughed and I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I go for it. Boss. I was like, let's do it. And he cracked in place, and a small tear came <laughs> out of my eye, and I'm laughing. I was like, okay, we tear did of it. optimism. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Doc. <laughs> Happy New Year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Oh. Years following. <laughs> So what are I've you been, asking for I've this been year? Cautious <laughs> yeah. to choose my attribute to work on. Dude, it's like humility. I you should think work on. We're like, no, 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 work no, on no. Pessimism, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> work on being poor. Yeah, <laughs> you can you can game this system, dog. <laughs> That's funny. Oh God, that's the funniest That's what part. I screamed dude. at him. Yeah, that part's pretty funny. Every time I think, you of ever, it. I never, I don't remember the kid. Never got his contact info. He's gonna write in his scary story one day and just be like this psychopath with a foot turned around. <laughs> I try to shove his nub in my face. <laughs> yeah, this kid is somewhere, and he's told this story to groups of people multiple times. I know for sure. Just <laughs> he has to have. Yeah. <laughs> um. You ever think about like what you would do in that kid's shoes if you see someone either injured or like something happening, like what you would do? Uh, I have a story. Okay. So I was walking. I walked around a lot until I got a car and I walked all over town. I walked to friends' houses and stuff or skateboarded. So a friend of mine came over and we were walking from my house to his house and we're like ninth grade, we're freshmen. And as we're walking, this this kid from our water polo team goes zooming past us on his bike. And this kid is awkward. And he wasn't the most popular. I was always super nice to him. 
and he like he seriously almost clipped us i don't know what he was doing and he was going so fast and my friend noah goes that's kyle hey kyle and like waves at him and he's like going as fast as he can and he like turns to look at us hits a curb pops up the curb so it like bumps him off his seat him off but he goes straight into a cement wall so noah goes hey kyle and he's like who's it you boom slap into a wall and noah's like and i was just sitting there like and kyle like boom hits it falls on the ground stands up doesn't even look at us grabs his bike his front wheel is bent sideways and just runs away and we sat there like That's so sad. The bent tire is the worst part of that. So how I tire react just like tacos is I just freeze <laughs> and sit there like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this is the last last oh. story from me. I might have two actually. <laughs> There's a kid named Jimmy. <laughs> and in like the fourth grade, he was riding home from another kid I knew, Gabe's house. And he's on his bike, and somehow I think he like went off a curb or misjudged when he tried to pop up a curb, and he just goes flying over the front of his handlebars, tries to stop his fall with both of his hands, and breaks both of his wrists and arms. Snap! I broke my wrist the same way. (laughs) But both of them at the same time? No, just one, but (laughs) I tried to break my fall the same way, but keep going. So he's like 12. He has two broken hands and he's like a mile away from home. So bawling, he puts his hands on his bike and like walks it all the way home crying. And then for like half the year, he had two full casts at school. So he couldn't do anything like pass his elbow cast. Bro, I don't know how he wiped. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, like an L cast like up to here. Yeah, he was oh. like this. that's bad dude (laughs) that's so bad mine i got it from we were with all the kids and i think i've told you this already but we were all riding our bikes somebody got the bright idea to play tag on our bikes (laughs) (laughs) so i remember i was hiding behind a car like watching through the windows and i didn't notice but my friend daryl who's it comes up right behind the car and he says, I'm going to get you. And I like, while I'm there, I'm nervously like fidgeting with my handle and I accidentally shift the gears. And because of that, everything gets stuck and chokes up and I hit my pedal and it doesn't turn, but like I kick it so hard. My front tire like is stuck and like stays in place while like everything goes over, <laughs> including my body. I just break my hand and try to break my fall. I remember laughing. Because it was hilarious. <laughs> and all the kids came up. And then slowly, one by one, I watched their faces as each of them stopped laughing. You're like, What's going on? <laughs> and, what? and one of them pointed out. And I like brought my hand up. And I didn't even notice it. But it was broken. And as soon as I saw it, then the pain started wow. setting in. Oh. So I, started, I went from laughing. I was 13. To just like st- I started screaming. I was like, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I uh, never broke anything, 
but I have some scars on my face. And there was one time we were playing tag with a bunch of kids, and I can't remember where we were, but it was a place I was not familiar with. So I'm like on one side of a door holding the door closed. And right as I'm like getting ready to run, I let go of the door, turn around, and there's a cabinet right there. <laughs> and I just nail my forehead. Sean's like, I got this. <laughs> and we were too poor to go to the hospital. Oh. oh. So my dad taped it up. Oh. Just like like freaking war style with the super glue and then tape around my eye. He put some mm. uh, gunpowder and lit it on fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude. <laughs> Seared a knife. <laughs> yeah, that hot knife, dude. <laughs> okay. One last one for me. Uh, a bunch of kids were over at Gabe's house playing tag and whatnot, lawn darts, other dangerous things. And it's dusk, almost dark. And Jimmy grabs a table saw, just the blade. And he's like looking at it, and they're like all there. And he goes, Whoosh! And throws it up as high as he can in the air. And all of them look up as it disappears into the dark. And they just start going. Ah, ah, they're all running around. And this kid Joseph stops and he goes. Ah, and it hits him on the top of the head. <laughs> and just a trickle of blood. And he's like. <laughs> and like hulked out and just started chasing Jimmy and I think Jimmy ran home. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Is this the same gosh. Jimmy who yes. broke his hand? Yes. <laughs> oh, Freaking Jimmy dude. <laughs> it's like that game that before that- or after his hands. I can't, I think that was after. Mm. Just the dumb things you do when you're like a 13 like an adolescent boy. Bro. So stupid. <laughs> It's like that game that everyone was playing like two months ago where they'd all stand in a circle. <laughs> yeah. With the phone on the ground, <laughs> selfie mode. Yeah, yeah, except for all those people were grown-ass adults. <laughs> and playing with non-lethal things. Like throwing an egg. I don't know. Somebody threw like a... A chair. A chair or... Dude, yeah. They started getting wild. They started getting a little wild. <laughs> Table right. saw. Let's get into it. <sighs> Time to roll. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever had a relationship that you're proud of? Proud of because you put in the work and the other person put in the work as well. Uh, didn't have to be perfect, but uh, effort was made, honest effort. I think it's definitely more rare to have those types of relationships. Uh, the good thing is with, with therapy, at least in my experience, uh, that's something I've been able to find. Uh, somebody who invests in me, uh, especially when I invest in myself. And we'd love, love, love for you to experience something similar. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Uh, it's entirely online, designed to be convenient and flexible, suited to your schedule. Uh, become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3 a.m. today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash 3 a.m. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, 
and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. Time to roll. We forgot uh, the, the little sound bite before we asked the question, but... <laughs> 14, 5, 13. Me, then Sean, and Charles. Last episode, I talked a little bit about Stephen King. Ha! Yeah, yeah. boy. Dude, how many books has that dude written? Okay, uh, let's guess. I'm going to say 32. I'm going to say 67. I'm going to say 45. Hmm. You looking it up? Yep. <laughs> How, we were way off, huh? 96. Oh, like I was published close. books. I just had to switch. Oh, I said 67. I at least 69. 96 is what it says. Oh. <laughs> Google says at least 96. Even Google don't know. <laughs> well, dang. That's wild. Um, there's a book that he has called The Stand. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-mm. No. I have not either until doing a little bit of research the inspiration for that book and i couldn't tell you the premise of it <laughs> i'm sorry but the inspiration of that for that book came from utah oh and it came from an incident that happened in the 60s called the dugway sheep incident huh never heard i've oh. heard of dugway but not the dugway sheep incident okay i've never even heard of the town of dugway ever in my 7 years living here 7 plus years <laughs> living here um, do you remember Merker when we went to the, uh, we went on Friday the 13th in October mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just to recap for some of the listeners out there on Friday the uh, 13th of October last year, we went to Merker cemetery and it was outside of Merker, the mining town. Now there are no remnants of the mining town. It's all been uh, over a hundred years ago. It burnt down to the ground. So. But there was a cemetery right outside of there, and it's supposedly haunted. We didn't experience anything. We went to try and find something. Um, we did find the cemetery, left a doll for one of the little kids uh, at their grave. And when we got there, is it was kind of creepy. Top of the hill. That family. Moon was out. Yeah, there was a weird family already there, like hiding in the bushes. It was definitely a weird place. Like it was a scary place. Like it looked straight out of a movie. Yeah, we were there like close to midnight. Um, yeah, the moon was out, so it was pretty bright. And we there's a bunch of graves, and we find the kid's grave. There's a bunch of toys on it because if you leave a toy, then she's supposed to play with the toy to show her gratitude or something. So we left her toy. Nothing happened. But yeah. anyway, Merker was pretty far. You remember driving there? Yep. Yeah. It's out there. Merker is the halfway point to 
Doug Way. Oh. <laughs> well, geez. I, I looked on the map after reading about this. I was like, where the hell is Doug Way? Yeah, Merker is the halfway point. So Doug Way is the town where part of this happened. I think I remember where I uh, have heard of Doug Way, though. Where? I think the Doug Way mines may be one of the places they thought that Josh Powell had hidden Susan Powell's body. Dang. Dude, there's some weird things that are have happened there. I'll get into a couple of them. The first one, the weirdest one, is it's a, it's a tiny town. There's a ranch there, and this particular ranch, the farmer wakes up one day to all of his sheep, and there's an estimated 6,000. Half of them are on the ground dead. Whoa. Has no idea what's going on. Trying to sort it out trying to clean it up day goes by goes to bed next day comes wakes up the other half the rest of his sheep are all dead what (laughs) what what you have any idea any just from that piece it was a murder mystery cruise (laughs) to am i right to alaska yes jackpot (laughs) mad sheep disease I would okay, so I would think maybe a wolf. Wolf, three thousand sheep. I don't night? know what's the best explanation. <laughs> Damn, that's the poison? big bad wolf. <laughs> poison. Someone poisoned him. You're close. So about poison the well. Twenty-five miles south of Dugway, the military was conducting chemical warfare experiments. Oh yeah, that's right. Out in the desert. You mm-hmm. know about this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I they, did not know about do? this. Yeah. I know what do you know? Mil- I don't know like details. You I just know, know that that's happened. That's happened out in the desert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's multiple places where they've done that in Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico. Maybe I remember Nevada actually. But yeah, Utah had a place for that and that's what happened. They were testing a chemical called VX. That sounds dangerous. It sounds like a friggin' uh, pre-workout. <laughs> New energy drink. Bucked up VX. VX. <laughs> uh, VX apparently is the most potent chemical. Like it lasts the longest. Like it's most. Uh, what's the word? Um. Anyway, it's super strong. Um. It's hard to get rid of. And I did a little bit of research on it. And a couple of months ago. The military is still there till this day, and that whole valley, and it's called Skull Valley, what? where they do testing, uh, that whole valley and the surrounding towns like Dugway, they were all evacuated because they were doing some experiments, and they misplaced a vial of this chemical, VX. of VX. They misplaced it. They lost it. Like, they were going through... All of their records and like, I don't know, <laughs> auditing, making sure they had everything in place or like the stocks. And there was the vial, the amount of VX in it was like less than half a teaspoon. But that alone could have killed so many people in this radius. So that's why they like evacuated it. That's how like potent this thing is. Bro, you had one job. <laughs> <laughs> they found it, they found the vial. <sighs> of VX and they reopened the areas for everybody to come back. But what happened was they tested this thing three times in different ways. They think the third time is what killed the sheep. The third time they had a plane spray the gases out, just testing it during their 
So maybe uh, chemtrail people aren't so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They think that's the one that caused the sheep to die, even though it was 25 miles away. Now the... I was going to say, the question for me then is why did half die and then half survive a whole extra day? I think it just took some time to settle in or something, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't know what the book The Stand is all about, but just having that piece of information to a farmer coming out to 6,000 of his sheep dead on the ground is terrifying. Oh, you, yeah. You were saying ways they tested. Did you mention the other ones? You said one was the plane. Uh, the, that was the third try. Right? Yeah, the oh, other ones bad. were just like a explosive, like a bomb uh, okay. on the ground. Um, yeah. So, did they replace homie's sheep? I don't know, dude. I'd be pissed. That's I, Six thousand sheep. Yeah. I assume they they did. There's a Wikipedia page on it, and it's called the Dugway Sheep Incident. Hmm. So that's what I was going through, and there's a picture of it. I, I see the name these. of the the rancher. His name is Ray Peck. It happened in 1968. Peck. Mm-hmm. And it shows all the dead sheep on the ground. Jeez. Just a huge field of dead sheep. <laughs> Aftermath, they did tests and they found uh, traces of VX in all of the sheep. <laughs> well, that means the farmer probably has VX too. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah, so, I'd be so concerned if I were him. Yeah, Ray Peck, who owned the sheep that were killed, was working outside during the incident when the airplane spread it out. It was still far away, and he couldn't see it, but maybe I'm I'm assuming like wind blew it over. Yeah. I don't know. That's the only thing I can think of, but his whole family developed like nervous system illnesses Oh sh- um, over the years. Government's like, we don't need to give you 6,000 sheep anymore. You're not going to need them in about three months. <laughs> you're not going to need them when you're dead. <laughs> anyway, there's a few different books that were written based off of that alone. While the government was conducting tests, my girlfriend was telling me about this incident that happened in the same area while they were doing all of these tests about a guy who was working for the government and during the test like went missing and they found no trace of him. She was reading about it somewhere and then she lost like the the article. So she's trying to find it but that's uh, just like all these weird things have happened because of that chemical. But, yeah, they still have never found that that person. I don't know, but to be determined. Okay, uh, that's all the information I have on on Dugway and the military. That's pretty creepy. Though. Incidents there. We should get that book though. The stand. The stand. Okay, hmm. uh, I have one more story. Short story. All right. This submission comes from a young woman. Her and her brother are traveling, going on vacation. Uh, They're going to a city that they've wanted to go to for a long time, and they're really excited, and it's Paris. Ooh, okay. So while they're there, they land, and they stay in a hostel. So they're catching, I don't know, a bus or Uber to this hostel in the city, and they're taken to one of the rooms, and this room has about 10 bunk beds in it. And they get there in the evening, so there are a couple of people there. Um, They get to their bunk, and right next to them, or the next bunk over, there is somebody who's there on the bottom one, and he's just sitting down, and he's like watching them 
just straight up, not like glancing at them, but he's, they describe it as he's staring at just them. Blatantly. And he didn't say yeah. anything either. From the time they walk in. So they, they approach their, their bunk bed and he's still just like eyes locked on them. And he starts talking to them and it's a different language. They don't understand. Uh, is it French? It's not French. <laughs> they don't, it's not French. They, it doesn't sound like a French accent. Um, this guy does look Middle Eastern. Okay. And they're just kind of n- trying not to pay attention to it. But he's like the next bunk over sitting down looking at them and, and talking to them. And he switches to English and he says to the girl, he goes, hey, hey. And then she looks and so does the brother. The brother thinks it's kind of funny. <laughs> and he's like, this dude's just being dumb or he's drunk or something. Just trying to play it off. She's a little more cautious, but when he gets her attention and she's looking at him and he knows that she's listening, he says, us, Libya, tomorrow. And both of them, sister and brother, are like, whatever, dude. And they turn around and continue, you know, unpacking and they want to rest before their full day tomorrow. So they go to bed. They're fine. They wake up. He's not there. Uh, they go out, they have breakfast, and then they go out to see the sights in the city. Throughout the day, as they're walking around, just being tourists, they see this guy in the same areas. They see him more and more throughout the day, and they think that he's following them. (laughs) There's no point where he's like walking towards them or anything, but he's just like in the area not looking at them anymore but just like in the area um so she's like becoming more cautious and she's telling her brother her brother's being kind of an ass about it and like dude what a laughing. trash brother <laughs> <laughs> he's like i well he's not like totally playing it off he's just like i don't think it's anything will be okay um yeah just trying to not i i giving him the benefit of the doubt i feel like I he's guess. not trying to yeah. freak her out i don't know yeah i don't know but they get there that evening uh, back to the hostel and uh, the dude is still staying there another night. They're staying there for, I believe, a week and a half and they paid in advance for this place. So they're kind of locked down. If they leave and stay somewhere else. They lose their money. So they don't really want to leave. They decide to stay another night and this guy is still sitting there on his bed when they get there and talking to them. They're really trying to ignore it. Next morning... They wake up, he's gone, they're going around the city, doing different things, seeing different sights, and they know for a fact that he's following them, uh, showing up more and more in all the different places. The day, the day doesn't finish yet, but they go back to the hostel and they decide they want to change rooms at least. Uh-huh. While they're there, there's a cafe and they get some food first and they went to their room to drop off some stuff before they went to eat when she remembers that she left her phone and she says i'm gonna go to my go to the room just to go get my phone real quick and the cafe is like part of the the hostel so it's not a huge deal she just goes down the hallway uh, a couple rooms down she walks up to the room and the guy is sitting there and it's the middle of the day and in a few seconds she's thinking in her head she's like do i really want my phone or do i want to go get it and not like I, I, I don't want to risk it being stolen. And she goes with the ladder. <laughs> so she goes into the room. It's just that dude by himself and her. And she makes her way really quickly into the room, grabs a phone. And as she turns around, she feels his arm grab her. 
pull her back and he runs to the door and tries to shut the door. At that same time, she's racing him, puts her foot in front of the door and he's trying to hold her. And he says, Libya, now we're going. And she somehow breaks free, runs to her brother, explains everything. And they go to the hostel owners and they're talking about this man who's assaulting them, following them, stalking them, being super creepy. So they call the cops and they try to, the hostel owners, I, I'm not sure if they try to go find him, but um, by the time the cops get there, the man is gone. But he leaves his stuff and they go through it and uh, they never see the guy again. They don't know what happens after that. Um, they assume that the police go looking for him. But I don't know, it just sounded like a real life taken situation. <laughs> that was creepy. Um, was just like human trafficking. Human trafficking stories are like no joke. That no. stuff is scary and it exists. Yeah. Only thing I know about Libya and I'm 80% sure it's Libya, but in 2019 cell phone videos were released of real slave auctions in Libya. Wow. So there was like a courtyard with slaves chained up and people were buying them. Dude, Libya is gnarly. That's where like that whole Benghazi thing went down. I have no idea what uh, that would be like. You know, like so much of the Middle East is war is all over. I don't know what it would be like to have war outside our front door. Hmm. It's yeah. just a different reality. That's why we can't relate when they like are going through wars and they call for help. It's almost like uh, this is me pointing out how insensitive like we can be as first worlders. <laughs> Because we respond quicker to like other first world worlders because we're in the same box as them. I don't know. This is just my initial thoughts on like being Americans. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. I don't know. But when Sean and I were in the Philippines, we stayed in a hostel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like all down for staying in hostels, but you just run the risk of like you don't get to choose who's staying with you. True. So we booked a room that had six bunks and there was only five of us. And so we knew we were most likely going to get a rando. At least the numbers are on your side. True. True. But still. I mean, I've (laughs) stayed in a lot of hostels at this point, and a lot of those have been by myself. Like I remember going to a hostel down in Mexico. And And you had a good time. I, I had a really good time, but like I didn't know anyone there. And so you were the weirdo, though, that they were like worried about. Possibly, dude. <laughs> well, you ended up becoming friends with some of them, and you guys went yeah, went on out a some tours days. and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean that's the cool thing about going to hostels. If you're especially by yourself, you can go like chill with other people. We went to the beach a couple times. Went down to like it was probably like an hour and a half down into Mexico to like some cenotes and stuff like that. But like wherever I have gone, yes, I run the risk of ending up in Miami with a bunch of drunk dudes or some cool people in in uh, Cancun. But, like, there's definitely, you run the risk of creepy people <laughs> and sketchy scenarios. So, especially if you're not pebbles. 6'2", white male. Hmm. Sorry, I, I'm not trying to say anything, but it's like, I'm, I don't feel very scared. So, we walk in, and there's a guy with his back to us unpacking his stuff. And we're traveling with Kevin, who is the most personable guy in the world. Like if there's an opportunity where he could sit with all of his friends or a cart full of strangers, he's going to go pick the strangers because he just loves to talk to everyone, right? <laughs> so this guy is like back to us and he's like unpacking and Kevin's like, hi, 
Guy doesn't answer. <laughs> and Kevin's like, hi. Like even louder, even though the guy like obviously wasn't paying attention within to earshot, him, ignoring yeah. him. Yeah. And so there's kind of this awkward exchange until finally like, the guy turns around and like waves. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And Kevin just starts like, like, hi, my name's Kevin. Where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the guy like puts his finger up, grabs his phone, and just starts typing. And we're like, what the heck? Just texting his friends. He's like, hold up. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, what the hell? Like, this is this. so weird. And then he points his phone at Kevin, and Kevin goes, oh, oh, okay. I am Kevin. <laughs> Come to find out the guy's deaf. And he can only communicate. Like, so he didn't know we came into the room. He only communicates by texting on his phone. He was traveling the world alone being deaf. And he has to do all of his communicating with like typing it out on his phone and showing it to people. And he actually ended up hanging out with us for a couple days. It was pretty fun. Like he was a really nice dude. But to the day that we left, I wasn't convinced he was deaf. <laughs> so even though Kevin would like talk freely in the room with him there, I was like, I wouldn't do it. And I was convinced that he wasn't deaf. That's hilarious. <laughs> that's more funny to me than scary, but that's, it's funny to me because I wasn't there to experience it. The initial it, so. interaction was like, it was like creepy weird until we found out. Because hmm. it was always like, what? what's going on right now? Oh, <laughs> Good on him. Yeah. Hostels adventurous dude yeah yeah good luck for people who really want to live on the edge or just broke boys <laughs> oh yeah the other thing is they're hella cheap mm-hmm. so the first thing i would have done if that happened be like peace i'm getting another 15 dollar a night hostel yeah <laughs> i'm gonna take the l and keep my life <laughs> <laughs> nice you next yeah all right so i have a short story and then Another short story. Just kidding. Uh, It's like a medium. But the medium story was actually submitted by one of our listeners. And her name is Kaylee. And this happened to her when she was like seven or eight. Now, she's born and raised in an old Kentucky mining town, which was just on the border of West Virginia. Now, if you know anything about Kentucky, like essentially you're driving, you have to drive like an hour to get to like a grocery store from like, if you're not in a main city like Louisville or something like that. Damn. So So she lived in Possum Trot. Out in the boonies. With you. (laughs) Far out. So she remembers going on a shopping trip with her mom one day and then they're driving home and they're going down like this winding road. And so it's like a winding road with like, foliage on both sides like maple and oak trees and stuff like that thick bush thick bush and they get to a mountain that's supposedly haunted now a whole damn mountain the whole (laughs) damn mountain (laughs) buckle up (laughs) um she says that and she admits that her and her mom both think that like the supernatural and stuff like that is bs (laughs) but she said her grandparents, though, were like her grandpa was a preacher and he was all about like he said he even cast out spirits. So they were way more superstitious. Yes. But her mom and her were like, no, nah, this is BS. Hmm. So they get to this mountain where there's supposedly a haunting and they're driving up the 
kind of winding road up on this mountain. And it's more like rolling hills in Kentucky. Um, not like the Rockies like we have out here, but like the Appalachian Mountains. Uh-huh. So they're kind of driving along. And she said at one point, her and her mom both look out to the right of the car as if like they're being drawn to look at whatever they were going to see. And they see this old guy who seems like he's an older guy wearing just kind of like some ragged clothes, carrying a trash bag. And then a girl that just looks pale, super pale. And she said she thought they looked human enough, but uh, they didn't think much of it. Now, as they're driving along, they look at them. And then instantly when they look back at the road the guy that they just saw is now right in front of the car and they hit him. Oh, they hear like the crash. The dude in the trash the bag? The dude with the trash bag. And she said there was a big coal truck that was behind him and this guy saw the, th- the whole thing happen at the same time. So her mom, she said, were for a hospital, was like a paramedic or something. She jumps out of the car to see what's going on. The guy that was in the coal truck also jumps out and they like try and go see if the guy needs help. And she said they get to where this guy is supposed to be and all they see is a trash bag just full of garbage. And she says, when she, she's seven or eight, so she stayed in the passenger side. She says that she looked out the window and could see the white lady still just watching like behind the mom and the guy that was driving the truck, just like watching them from behind. So they're now freaking out. They get back in the car and she said her grandparents lived about five miles away. And I don't think that the mom saw the the lady. The lady mm-hmm. because she seemed to be gone after that to her. So they drive the five miles or five yeah, five miles up to their grandparents' house and they uh kind of stop there to just kind of recoup and figure out what's going on. And apparently the grandpa was like, Yeah, this mountain's haunted. I've seen things too. And they assumed it was probably the ghost of Mommy Thurgood. That's, I guess, the name of a person that has died on this mountain. And Mommy? Mommy. M-A-M-I-E. Oh, Mommy. Oh, wait. <laughs> Mommy. Mammy. Mammy. Mammy Thurgood. <laughs> Mammy Thurgood. Yeah, well, I don't know how to say that, dude. Um, but she says that her and her mom will not drive that section of road alone at night anymore. So if they get to that point where they have to drive through it, they'll pull over and wait for another car. Oh. And go through with that other car. So they're serious. <laughs> they're serious, yeah. Jeez. They, they never saw the guy or the girl again. That's wild. Did they look in the trash bag? She said it was just trash. Just regular garbage. Just, it wasn't anything suspicious. Mm-mm. And there was no like mark on the car or dent from hitting somebody? They didn't say. Now... The grandpa... I shed a tear, <laughs> by the way. Shed a tear? Because it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, if that happened to me, like straight up, saw someone, all of a sudden they're in the front of the car and I feel like I've hit them. Yeah. Or go through the sensation of hitting a person. Dude, that's that's terrifying. I've legitimately thought of that as I'm driving. I've been like, what if this happened? Yeah. I think the weirdest part is that it seemed to leave behind physical like evidence. Yeah. Which makes you think it was a real person. You would think, yeah. I don't know. But there was no evidence of that person. They said that people have seen the lady and the man before as well. 
And if it really was a, just a trash bag on the ground beforehand, like there's no reason why they would have thought they hit something and then both people got out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, even to the guy who's driving behind them, he would Saw. have seen a guy get hit by the car. Mm-hmm. Now, when they were talking to the grandpa, though, they said he confirmed it and told them an experience that he'd had when he was young. He said that he and a bunch of his friends were driving up this mountain one time, and they see this this girl kind of off in the distance, and as they get closer... All of the guys start like catcalling and stuff like that because, you know, we're stupid, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, she, after they stop looking, she disappears. And they're going up this mountain, and all of a sudden, the car won't go any further. Or they're, they're in a truck. Hmm. The truck stops as if it's like being held by something. And they're like spinning out trying to go up. And then eventually, it slowly is able to start getting some traction and go up. But all the guys were like sitting in the back of this truck. And she said that her grandpa told her that a mist formed in the bed of this truck as they started going up this hill. And it started spinning as they eventually got to the top of the hill, it disappeared. Hmm. And that was his experience. He said that he, like, he knows it's real. That's so odd. I don't know what I would make out of that. Like, do you remember my story about a truck and mist? I don't know. Not the one in the rain, right? So, man, I'm just going to tell a small part of it. This is a part of a lot of my stories when I would go looking for scary things out in the countryside in the foothills near Visalia, California. And one of our favorite places we would go to is the abandoned schoolhouse where there was a massacre with Native Americans Mm -hmm. and where my sister saw the apparition of all those kids in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. But one time we were driving up and I liked to put a group of people in the bed of my truck and I would drive through these small, super creepy roads and we're pulling up through these orchards and I know the, the schoolhouse is going to come up on our right. And so I'm going super slow and we're all looking at the schoolhouse. And then I look forward and directly in front of me is what looks like a solid pillar of smoke. What? But it's I'm driving like 25 miles an hour and before I see it I can't stop. It goes through my car and through the bed of my truck where I hear my friend go, "What the fuck was that?" Cuz like the pillar went right through the bed of the truck too. Holy cow, dude. Yeah, so that was like one of the most visual things I ever had happen. That's nuts. But yeah, that was weird. Pillar smoke. It reminds me of, well, your first story reminded me of my father's hometown in Tonga, Mm -hmm. the island of Tonga. Uh, (laughs) The woman was hit in the intersection and she died. Yeah. But people still see her. And once in a while, they'll see her and it'll be too late and they'll stop and she won't be there anymore. So they'll keep driving and they'll see her in the back seat. Yeah. That's funny too because there's, uh, as a part of like this whole legend, People have said that they will look in their rearview mirror as they go up this hill and they see her sitting in the back seat. I hate that. And <laughs> that's the most vulnerable, dude. True. Can't dude. Do like, anything. You can't do anything. I'm supposed to stop, 
park. Excuse me. Take my seatbelt off. I'm going to unlock, (laughs) walk out like that. Too many steps. All they got to do is reach out. I'm going to pull a Kyle and just run straight into a (laughs) cement wall. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently as well, if you put your car in neutral at the bottom of this hill, the car will go uphill as if it's being pushed. Dude, I've been to a place like that in New Jersey. I don't when know if it's like a an illusion or I, I don't know. I remember seeing it on like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah, something like that, like on Discovery Channel or something <laughs> like in high school. And then my cousin and I, uh, our graduation gift was to go to New York. We went to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> His older brother was going to Princeton at the time, so... Oh. To catch a train to New York was only like an hour away. So we went for a few days to New York, but we were staying in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he knew about this place. He's like, yeah, let's go check it out. And I remember he put it in neutral, and we just sat there, and the car was moving uphill. That's what? trippy, dude. Yeah. And people, we didn't bring any, but I remember watching on the show, people would like put like empty cans and bottles, and they would like roll uphill. I forgot the name of this place. I uh, we I'm sure we could find it. I feel like I've seen easily. the discovery for it as well, though. Because <laughs> yeah. when I was reading about this, like the background of the story, I was like, "That sounds familiar." Yeah, it was like top ten most haunted places on the East Coast. It was right after the top ten best water parks in the nation. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the haunted places, not the water parks, though. <laughs> mm. Dude, yeah, it was super. And she said this is one of the scariest things that's ever happened to her. So like, I can I can definitely agree that would be terrifying. I don't like that. No. (laughs) No. Nope. (laughs) Dang. What was her name? Uh, Kaylee. Shout out Kaylee. Shout out. Thanks, Kaylee, for listening. Sharing your story. It's dope. Yeah. Me turn? Go for it. You turn. Okay. What is your favorite national park? Glacier. That I've been to. Yeah. Also Glacier. I would say me as well. But... Almost tied, if not close second, is Yosemite. Yosemite is also dope. Yeah. I think as a group of friends, we travel to national parks quite often. Yeah. It's like, uh, and living in Utah, there's five within a couple hours of us. Yeah. So it's like a big part of our life. I'm going to tell the story of a young kid named Dennis Martin. And Dennis was six years old in June 14th, 1969. Dennis his older brother, who was nine, his grandpa and his father, they go out to the Great Smoky National Park. That one's dope, too. Have you been there? Yeah. Where is it at? So it's in Tennessee. Oh, okay. Have you ever heard of Gatlinburg? It's in the Great Smoky Mountains. Uh-uh. It's like a popular tourist destination. Huh. Hmm. Okay. Well, you've been there. hmm So they're going out to relax. Also, everything in this story I'm about to tell you is substantiated through affidavits, uh, freedom of information acts, like newspaper, investigate, like everything substantiated. So Dennis, his brother, his grandfather, and his dad go to a place in the national park called Spence Field. So think of like an open meadow with a tree line surrounding it. And the dad and grandpa are just sitting there watching their two boys play. They're chasing each other around. One will like scare the other and run away but they can see him the entire time very clearly right in front of them. After a while, another family, it's just a father and a son. They show up and their son or the son 
starts playing with the two boys. So now it's three boys running in the field and Mr. Martin like asks his name and he says their last name is Martin, which is kind of weird. So there's three Mr. Martin standing there watching three boys play and he's watching his youngest son, Dennis, and he sees Dennis climb into a bush and he had been doing that like all day because he'd been jumping out and scaring his brother. So he watches him climb into a bush and he watches the two other brother or the two other boys run around. And after some time, not long, maybe 10 minutes, the boys kind of move on to another area and he can't see Dennis anywhere. So he thinks that's weird. So he eventually, not breaking eye contact, decides to walk up to the bush and look inside. And there is no Dennis in sight. So immediately he starts looking around, calling his name, nothing. So he jogs to the tree line and like yells Dennis's name, nothing. He's not anywhere to be seen. So he's ex-military, super in shape. He starts sprinting down the path in the, in the woods, calling for Dennis's name. And he runs two plus miles very quickly. And he sees nothing, no sign of Dennis. And he determines, like, I am further than what he would have been capable of getting to. He's a six-year-old kid, right? So after he goes far enough to where he's like, there's no way he could get this far, he turns around and sprints back. His grandpa, or his dad, the grandpa, looking everywhere. The boys are looking everywhere. No sign of Dennis. Tells his dad, go to the ranger station and tell them my son is missing. So he goes, and Dennis's dad, Mr. Martin, continues his search. At the same time, five miles away, the Key family asks a park ranger, where can we go? Where's the best place we can go in the park to see a bear? Because their son really wants to see a bear. And um, the park ranger tells the Key family, you should go to Rowan Creek. They're like, okay. So they start on their hike. They get to Rowan Creek. And as they're walking up to the creek, they hear in the distance, quote, the loudest, most sickening scream they had ever heard in their life. And the son kind of thinks it's a bear, so he gets excited. And he points up the hill and way in the distance along the tree line, he's like, a bear, it's a bear. And his dad's looking at it and says, that's not a bear because it's walking upright. He said it didn't look like a normal gait or walk, but this creature was very big, rough, shaggy, and in fur. And it's walking along the tree line. And when it notices the key family, it starts trying to like hide and get behind things. So they determine probably not a good idea to hang out in the area. So they take off within the hour, even before the key family leaves a massive search starts going or happening. And ultimately, uh, I think 1400 people enter the search, including dogs, cadaver dogs and scent dogs. So the key family goes home and the next day they see on the news, this young boy is, is like gone missing and like pretty much vanished into thin air. He looks at a map and sees that he was about five miles away. 
And in the time between the kid went missing and it happened, it was feasible that the kid could have gotten there. And so he calls the National Park Service, he calls the rangers, and he says, tells them what he witnessed, what his family witnessed, and what happened. And he said, I can come meet you guys right now and show you the exact spot. And they said, no, we'll contact you. And they hung up. So he gets frustrated because he thinks, I think this is important to the case. So he contacts the local paper. Mr. Martin, in the meantime, he stayed at the park for 12 days straight. He didn't go home. He searched everywhere. He even went as far as he went to the bush that he saw his son climb into, and he dug it up. He dug up the ground around it. He tore the bush apart, and his son was nowhere. So, 1,400 people come to do, like, a huge search. It's massive. Cadaver dogs who could... Even if a body is transported in a car, they can pick up the scent. It's like, how can 1,400 people not find one kid? And the dogs find no scent. Eventually, a couple days later, the FBI shows up. And they start conducting their own search, separate from the local authorities and the park rangers. After the FBI shows up, a group of Green Berets show up, the army they start conducting their own separate investigation. They use their own private channels on all their walkie-talkies. They don't communicate with anyone, and they do all of their investigation at night. So we have local authorities, park rangers, FBI, 1400 service, and the Green Beret. The army is there, and none of them are working together. So since then, everyone's wanted to know why Green Beret were involved, So they filed a Freedom of Information Act, which should be honored, and it was just flat out ignored. So they wanted to know who sent them, who called them, what they were doing, and why. Ignored. So like I said, Mr. Key, he decides to go to the press. He tells them they run this paper that says a large, shaggy man in fur was spotted five miles away on the same day that he disappeared. And Mr. Martin finds out about this by reading the paper. So he goes to the park rangers and goes, did you know about this? And they're like, yes. And he's furious. He's like, why didn't you tell me? And they said, it's not important. It's not related. It's too far away. It can't be related. And so he starts at the point where he lost contact with Dennis and walks to the place, Rowan Creek. And he's there with like in an hour. So it's completely feasible. Yeah. 14 days later, well, uh, first the FBI stopped their investigation. Green Beret stopped their investigation. And ultimately, 14 days later, the investigation stops. 40 years later, David Politis knocks on the door of Mr. Martin. David, (laughs) what's up? (laughs) My man. (laughs) And he basically says, like, uh, tells him who he is and what he does. And he goes, I want to know about your son. And Mr. Martin and his wife had decided a long time ago that they were going to forget about their son to try and move on and salvage their life. And he goes, tells him who he is once again, and goes, give me 15 minutes. And so the Mr. Martin walks out, shuts the door, sits on the porch with him, and just tells him everything. And he says, they are holding some things back 
they are intentionally like not doing the most to find like yeah they're like hurt they hurt the investigation they held things back they didn't tell us the full truth we have no idea what happened they meaning the government all these different organizations Mm. so david then finds the reporter that interviewed mr key and asked him what's going on and he went all over his notes and he told him all the details and he said yeah they claimed that this large what they could only assume was a man because it was walking on two feet, but it was moving unlike any human they've ever seen before. And when they saw it, it was carrying something over its shoulder. Like a small boy-sized object over its shoulder. And David's like, what? Like this isn't in the paper. And they said, yeah, we didn't print it because we thought no one would believe it. Just a big game of telephone. I don't know, dude. It's crazy how crucial information gets lost. I'm just going to lay out all the facts, and then we can come up with our own thoughts. Jim Reich, he's the FBI investigator in charge of child disappearances in the area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Martin was in contact with him pretty much every day for like years and years and years until Jim killed himself. So the guy who's in charge of child investigation. Um, here are the theories. Here are the practical theories first. First, he wandered off. Second, animal predation or an an animal attack. Right. Third, Mr. Martin was involved. So the dad did something and then lied. All of those were ruled out by all of the people, by like park rangers, by experts. All of those were ruled out. They said if it was an animal attack, they would have found Evidence. Yep. Even blood. Nothing. Something. The Anything. dogs would have picked up something. Yeah. The dogs. The 1,400 searchers. Uh, he wandered off. Once again, they would have found something. Dogs. And then Mr. Martin, he took polygraph tests, everything. They, they rule him out. Plus, there was other witnesses there, too. Yeah, they, di- they didn't see him do anything with them. Exactly. So all of those are ruled out by all the official authorities. Leaving. Here are the top three explanations um, that aren't conventional. <laughs> um, one, he was taken by a group of feral people. And there's like legends and there are talks of groups of people living in the Appalachian Mountains that are so like wild um, and removed from reality, like pretty much like cavemen or like hillbilly type. I talked about that once. The moon-eyed people. Ooh, yeah. So the Appalachian Mountains. And like a couple of weeks before Dennis went missing, an uncooperated or like, I don't know if it was fully proven, but a ranger reported being attacked by a wild person. What? Yes. Two. And this one's really dark. So skip ahead, trigger warning, but human trafficking. So pedophile rings are a thing. Mm-hmm. And groups of people looking for kids is a thing. And so it's a theory that one of these organizations was looking for kids specifically like in national parks. So that's theory two. And theory three, can you guess? Bigfoot! (laughs) Some cryptid took him. And the leading theory is Bigfoot. Honestly, from the beginning of the story, like when you're telling this happening, my thought was... Man in a ghillie suit, kidnapping child. Whoa. 
That's what I thought. Because like if you look at that in the distance, like easily that could be a ghillie suit mm-hmm. carrying something over their shoulder. That's what I was leaning towards. Dude, it very well could be. To this day, they have no idea what happened to Dennis. Um, it's very tragic. It's literally a parent's worst nightmare. Yeah. And to, and to this day, uh, Mr. Martin claims he never looked away. He never broke eye contact. So intriguing. See, but that's where that ghillie suit could come in too. Like what if he goes over to the bush, he's now freaking out because he doesn't see the kid, but the kid's underneath like some sort of covering. He runs off. They just walk away the other way. Dude, that would be wild. So many ifs. Yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. That's Yeah, that's dark too. So what is this? This subject. Missing child, missing persons? 411. 411s. All right. So we've talked about this before and DJ covered it. Um, so I'm just going to like explain a little bit further for our listeners. This is an entire like genre of occurrence known as missing 411. Um, I got shout out to Thomas who sent me that last story. Um, so that last story was by a guy named Bob Gimlin who like covered that and I pretty much just retold his story. Our Thomas? Yeah. Dude, thanks, Thomas. Shout out. So our homie Thomas over in Portland. And then so this is this came from an interview with David Politis, uh, Missing 411 interview. Would from, you explain who he is? From the Can-Am Missing Project. So David Politis is a former police officer investigator of 20 years in California. And he had worked on high-profile crazy cases, so serial rapists, murders, disappearances. Mm-hmm. Um, he later became an author through his investigative work and he covered different topics. But back in the day, he took a trip to Yosemite. Yeah. And he was going around Yosemite and he was accompanied by two park rangers. And they were just kind of showing him around, telling him what's up. And they dropped him off and they said their goodbyes. And he goes to his hotel room. When later that night, he gets a knock on his door and it's the same two park rangers. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Mr. Politis, we need to talk to you. So he let them in their hotel and they said, things are happening in national parks and you should look into it. And between the two of them, they tell them like all of their experiences. And David Politis is super intrigued and he starts looking into it. So the first thing he does is he goes to the national park, Yosemite. It's one of the biggest national parks in in, uh, America. Well ran. It's a good operations, a ton of national forest workers there, national park workers. And he contacts their team and says, hey, Freedom Inf- Information Act, I, I would like to look at a list of all missing persons in the national park. And a couple of days later, he gets a call from a lawyer. And they, he says, why do you want that list? And he knows the rules of Freedom of Information Act. You can't determine whether or not you're going to give information to someone based off their intent of how you they want to use it. You just have to give it to them. Yeah. So this regard, then he, he says, doesn't matter. Uh, I need it. And the guy goes, well, we, we don't have it. And he's like, what? <laughs> well, no, you, you have to have something like this. Like you guys have a ton of reports. You come out with a report every week. Surely this is something you guys report is missing people in the national park. He's like, if you go to your website, it's full of lists. Like, 
you guys t- keep track of everything. And the guy's like, no, we don't have it. So they go back and forth. And then he says, okay, I'm a published author. I'm going to use one of my exemptions to like get this information because apparently you can do that. And they get back to him and they say, sorry, you're not in enough libraries or publications, so we can't give it to you. Admitting that they do have it, but they now have it, but they won't give it. Kind of. That rule doesn't exist. There is no number where you have to, if you're a published author, you can do that. You can ask for information like that. And then they say, okay, fine. We will, or he says like, can't you just hire an intern to every week, write down how many people go missing and keep track of that? Or can't you go through all your old files and stuff and give me that information? And they say, sure, we'll give you the list of missing people for Yosemite, but it's going to cost you $34,000. And if you want a list of missing people in all national parks, that will cost you $1.4 million. What the (laughs) hell? And so immediately he's like, what's going on here? Like, why is there so much pushback for this information? Why is this, you know, it should not be this hard. They should have this information readily available. So since then, that, that, that information, you can't access it anywhere. You can't find it. But since then, national parks will put one to two people missing. That's how many they'll like put public. That's it. But they're thousands. So since then, David Politis and his team have gone through over 5,000 cases of missing people. And they group the special kind of missing cases. So they don't take all missing cases. So their vetting process is if it was, if the person had like severe mental issues where it was like most likely they kill themselves, that's out. Yeah. If they can prove that it's animal attack, that's out. If they can prove or if there's any suspicion in kidnapping, that's out. So what's left is just the cases that are unexplainable. Yeah. There's no explanation. And so... He starts going through all of these. He puts them in piles all over his living room and he starts noticing that the he puts them in piles by location and he starts noticing that all of these locations are just stacking. Yeah. So from his investigative days back in the police, he gets a huge map, starts pinning it out and there are these hot spots of missing people and it's like, it's like dots all over America. You can look it up and it's just like hundreds of people go missing from the same location. And so he starts looking through or making um, what are the commonalities between these cases. And some of the commonalities are children, super high in common. Mm-hmm. So children being a part of it. Two, children's bodies being recovered in very anomalous locations, which is what DJ kind of talked about that one time. Yeah. So they find the kid dead, but in a place or location that is simply impossible for him to get to alone. It's near large bodies of water and a lot of the people who go missing have special needs like autism or Asperger's or they have extremely high intellect. So they're like physicists. And after the disappearance happens, weird, unexplainable, bad weather happens in the area. Hmm. Like in one location after a kid went missing 12 days of rain straight, that was like unheard of in this location. And then the last weirdest thing is a lot of them are German. And not only German, but German physicists. Like that's happened enough times where that's a category. Wow. <laughs> I'm just laying out the facts. 
I'm not drawing any conclusion. And David's very clear that he's like, I'm not saying any of this is a certain thing happening. I'm just saying these are the facts. This is what's happening. So you draw your own conclusion, right? So I'll really quick, I'll just t- cover two, two cases. A two-year-old goes hiking with his parents near Crater Lake National Park in Oregon. He's walking out on a trail right in front of his parents, goes out of, barely goes out of sight, gone. Can't find him, completely disappeared. So search dogs, everything, nothing. They rule out, you know, animal attack, all that stuff. Four years later, they find his body 550 feet up the mountain, up cliffs, where they have to use ropes and skilled climbers to find him. They find his body, no bruises, no blood, no signs of death, pretty much. And they do an autopsy, can't determine the the cause of death. And his pants are on inside out. And park rangers say he was killed by a mountain lion. <sighs> no. Okay. Up a cliff. 50, 550 feet up a cliff. I've seen a no mo- blood. I've seen a mountain lion turn pants inside out. <laughs> <laughs> also, a kind of dark uh, detail of that is they also found one body part of him. They found one single tooth sitting perfectly on top of a log like 300 feet away that's really weird that's another one a a, a two-year-old went missing and they found his body or 19 hours later they find his body he is 12 miles away over two mountain ranges and two rivers he was with his family disappeared Uh uh-huh they find his body how well, like 19 hours later, they just find his body like on the ground or something. Yeah. But he's now 12 miles away and he would have had to have walked over two mountain ranges and two rivers. two rivers. Yeah, but how's his body? I think just lying there dead. Like, But like they look like an animal dragged no, no. it? Or? No, all these cases, animals been ruled out. So they're just... <laughs> Kidnapping's been ruled out. Dead. Yeah, they just don't know how. Okay. I don't know. So there, he's written six books. He's put out movies. We should watch it. It's on YouTube. Missing 411. Yeah, I want to rent it with you. We'll watch it. He draws no conclusions. And there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, David Blytus says it's like Bigfoot and stuff like that. But according to the interview, I listened to him. He was like, nah, I don't put any of that out there. All I put is the information and you draw your own conclusions. There are no answers that he can come up with that explain everything. So what he does is he says there is only one case or in 99% of the cases he's gone through, if they would have had a geolocator or a geotransponder, they probably would still be alive. And he has zero cases of someone carrying a geotransponder and a firearm of someone going missing. So what he suggests is if you are going to go out into the wilderness Take a geotransponder, something that transmits your, like if you feel like you're, well, this specific one, if you feel like you're in danger, you like press a button and it mm. pings your like, location. And then that that uh, service contacts the National Forest immediately and they can go to, straight to your place. Right. So it's, he said between one and $300 for that. Worth he, it. He suggests carrying a firearm. He's ex-police, so he says he always carries one. Yeah. 
and he never goes out without telling someone where he's going. He takes a map, a compass, and he always checks the weather. So he said, if everyone did that, we could probably almost eliminate missing people. What about the 1%? Good luck. (laughs) Dude, that's pretty creepy. That is missing 411. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm just trying to like help our listeners understand what that genre is. People going missing and there is simply no explanation. Yeah. And it's a lot near national parks, places we hold uh, dear and dear, near and dear to our hearts. So be careful as Sean would say. Yeah. I'm excited to look more into that. We've known about missing 411 for a while. I personally haven't looked into it too much because I don't know. It's heavy. I, it's well, yeah. There's multiple reasons. It's hard for me to put it to one, but yeah, it's heavy. It's I, unrewarding. I've seen if a you couple. Want, if you want answers, it's very it's unrewarding. Frustrating. Yep. It's so yeah. frustrating because you don't have closure. They don't have closure, and, and yeah, a like, lot of it's dark and gruesome. And there's a lot of it, like you said, thousands and thousands of cases with it. Where do you start? Yeah. <laughs> Just gotta pick a place, put your finger down on the map, and plus, if you like the outdoors, you're not trying to like have that psych yourself have out. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, that's honestly, he said that's probably the largest reason why his work has been there's been pushback. It's because people treat nature like their religion, right? It's the place right. they go to unwind or reconnect or reset their mind, and his information is potentially ruining that or affecting it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I understand. Yeah. I think it's time we start looking into it more. <laughs> yeah, let's go out to the mountains, y'all. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for me. Dude, thanks for that introduction, Charles. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shout out to everyone who's contributed so far. Kaylee, for yep, sharing your story. Out. Everyone who's who's sent in stories. We still have some on deck that we're going to be sharing and uh, some 3 p.m. episodes coming out soon did you have anything else we freaking forgot to introduce ourselves i'm sean i'm charlie i'm dj (laughs) this is a 3am podcast if you like what you hear support us please subscribe download and rate us Mm -hmm. yeah uh whether it's buying a shirt following us telling a friend uh becoming a patron on patreon uh come say hello yeah, dude. We always get excited uh, when people say that they, they like our stuff. So Shout out Isaac. Shout out Isaac and also shout out and shout out Dan. Yeah. Uh, both of them who have signed up as, as patrons. So <laughs> within the first two days. Yeah. First day. And we didn't really announce it, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. More coming your guys' way. In the meantime, uh, trust your gut. Watch your back. Bye, love you, be safe. Be careful out there. And bye.
Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was going to (laughs) say. You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Maholovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.